Welcome to Unsuitable on Ray Radio, the award-winning financial services and business advisory podcast that challenges your old-school business practices and their traditional business suit culture. Our guests are industry professionals and experts who will challenge you to think beyond the suit and tie while offering you meaningful modern solutions to help enhance your company's growth. I'm your host, Dave Kane. On today's topic, we're going to undergo a bit of a refresher course on the topic of business valuations. Back to the basics, if you will. Mary Beth Kester, Ray's Director of Business Valuation and Transaction Service, is here to walk us through the basics, like what a valuation is, why business owners need one, and what other valuable services a valuation helps to support. She's going to share some real-life examples. Welcome back to Unsuitable, Mary Beth. Thank you, Dave. Hey, thanks for being my voice today. You're welcome. So I'm sorry uh, you don't have one. <laughs> oh, well, you know, there's a lot in the office that say, thank goodness he can't talk today. So I don't believe it. <laughs> so, you know, let's talk about what's going on at uh, Ray and Associates with uh, the business valuation uh, group. Lots going on. Lots going on. 2018 was a very busy year for us. A lot of growth, team expansion. Got a couple of great new hires on our team to help build out the service offering. And I'll tell you what, Mike and Chris just hit the ground running. So it's been fun and it's been exciting. So you guys are expanding and rock and rolling. Yes, we are. Good. What's the uh, 2019 docket look like as far as business valuations? Pretty strong? Pretty strong. It's hard to believe that by the end of next month, first quarter, race first quarter is already in the books. And we've had quite a busy backlog pipeline of projects and engagements, a lot of different engagements. So it's been keeping the group busy and wow, you guys already made your budget for the first uh, quarter. That's pretty early. You need a you need to incentivize the the group. <laughs> you know, if you listen to some of our back episodes on. Uh, uh, unsuitable. There's some great information about incentive compensation. Really? Yeah, we had a, a really neat group in from uh, Charlotte, North Carolina, and uh, a couple episodes. Uh, take a listen to them. I'll definitely have to check that out. And I wonder if they touched on anything related to timely excellence bonuses or new business incentive programs. Was that any? Oh, they of the- did. And okay. double bonus. I signed up for that. <laughs> and. A double bonus? A double bonus, okay. yeah. Well, I like I, the sounds of that too. I, yeah, that sounds pretty good. <laughs> but uh, so Ray is expanding uh, across the state of Ohio, uh, business valuations, uh, et cetera. You know, let's talk about uh, in 2019, the landscape. As a business owner, wh- why should I get a business valuation? What are some reasons outside the normal, hey, I want to maybe sell? What are some things we can talk about? Sure. So I think the um, initial idea of why business owner might have a valuation done is for a liquidity event, some type of triggering event, whether that be um, someone, one of the partners passes away. And so we need to do evaluation for probate purposes. Um, could be for estate planning, or they want to gift a part or all of the company to the next generation of business owners. Um, a divorce or a partnership dissolution. All of those reasons would be a triggering event for why you might get your company valued. But we also see a lot of business owners now more than ever doing evaluation simply for good business strategy and planning for the future. So starting that transition plan now, getting the pieces in place to start building out their succession plan for maybe three, five, 10 years down the road. You know, kind of uh, establish the foundation or the base level. Exactly. And that, and that's and that's the entire purpose, Dave, is setting that baseline and having a starting point um, that we can then put plans into motion today to get them to where they want to be when they are ready to transition or when that liquidity event happens. 
Could evaluation, for example, could evaluation be used to establish a phantom stock program? It could. Yes, it could. As maybe an incentive? An, an incentive program. It could be used for um, setting up shareholder or employee contracts and agreements, buy sells, all of those things. You know, towards the end of um, December and, and certainly through January, uh, you know, we saw the stock market going up and down. What impact does that have on valuations, if any, of the closely held uh, uh, market? Well, the activity in the stock market, that from a public standpoint, when we're looking at a market approach of companies, that does play a role in terms of where in the range of value when you hear a multiple of EBITDA or multiplier of revenue. Um, what's happening in the national economic environment does impact transactions and, and what we're seeing in terms of M&A activity. What we tell business owners is it's really difficult to try to perfectly time the sale of their company. So to try to play it in terms of what's happening in the stock market is not really a good business strategy. Just getting all the pieces that you can get in place now is the best way to prepare yourself for that future event. You know, it's just one of many indicators to look at. It is. You know, it is. Maybe uh, you know, snapshot of volatility. Don't know. That's right. So, You know, I hear the term uh, your group's uh, tossing around uh, this uh, quality of earnings. Yes. What's going on there? The quality of earnings, the Q of E engagement. So, again, I think this is not, this is not, New news, but a lot of the baby boomer generation—they are planning. Um, they're they're planning their exits and their transition plans, and part of that planning is having due diligence performed on the company. So whether a strategic or private equity firm is coming in and potentially acquiring the company, what they'll do as part of the due diligence process is request or require quality of earnings. And Dave, essentially what that is, is it's looking not only back at the historical earnings and cash flows of the company and really digging into the details of, are those truly the earnings that the company achieved? And are there any kind of normalizing adjustments we might need to make? But then looking at the forecasted earnings of the company going forward and making sure that those are actually achievable. So if I'm running my uh, fast car and my country club dues through the business, there'll be an adjustment uh yeah, so if you're treating your business like a lifestyle business where you're funding you're funneling things like your country club dues and your vacations and your personal airplane um, and all the expenses for the family through it, then yes, there will be probably more adjustments needed on a company like that versus a non-lifestyle type company. You know, let's uh, let's talk about that a minute. I mean, there are a lot of businesses that do that and it's and it's okay. There's some tax ramifications, but you know, we need to uh, wave a caution in the wind that that could impact value. It does. We're working with a couple of clients right now, actually. We're doing a Q of E for a client who has is either going to sell the company and set up an ESOP or just buy the partner outright and then continue going forward. And so through the process of doing the Q of E and asking all of the questions that we had after we performed the financial analysis, what the conversation led to was, wow, there's several hundred of thousand dollars worth of owner expenses that we're adding back. And we need justification for those expenses. And a lot of the conversation revolved around, well, from a tax strategizing standpoint, that's why we put everything through the books. We want to minimize our net income, our taxable income. And I understand that. But 
the challenge with that is that really doesn't set them up in a good place now that they're ready to sell the company. Um, they're going to receive a lot more questions from the financing institution and a lot more questions during the ESOP process about those adjustments that we're making because so much was funneled through. Sure. So it's just something to consider. Sure. Just one of many, again, one of many things. What kind of multipliers of EBITDA are you seeing out there? That really depends on the size of the company, Dave, the industry, potential buyer of the company. I mean, there, it's just a range. It could be as low as two to three, depending on the size of the company. And we're seeing multiples of EBITDA upwards of seven to 10, again, depending on the company. Let's say I'm a merging business. You know, I don't have a lot of net worth, not a lot of value right now. Does your group offer to come in and help me build value? Does that make sense? Well, if you're a startup company and you don't have a lot of value today, but you are able to put together a detailed forecast of what the future operations, revenue, and cash flows of the company will look like, absolutely, we can do evaluation for business planning and help that owner identify areas for growing value. Yeah, we can do that. So, again, maybe my business has a lot of intangibles. How does that fit into the valuation play? So expand a little bit on a lot of intangibles. Uh, let's say I have a lot of um, uh, trademark patents, mm-hmm. uh, uh, a lot of work in that area. Maybe some ideas, some intellectual property. So all of that um, plays into the goodwill value of the company. So when we're valuing a company, we use three approaches to value. There's the asset approach, the income approach, and the market approach. And the income approach takes into consideration two key components of value. It's the value of your fixed assets, so your furniture, fixtures, equipment, vehicles on hand in the company. And then the intangible values, your goodwill, your patents, your copyrights, your trademarks, um, non-competes or customer lists, all the things that build additional revenues and cash flows for the company above and beyond the fixed assets. What about uh, culture or brand effect? How does that affect quality of earnings or does it? It does. So again, that's one of those intangibles. Um, When we're working on a valuation, we always interview management and really do a a deep dive into the company, into the culture of the company, um, the management systems in place, the level of management depth. What, What is the culture like? What um, what is the employee retention in the company like? Is there a high turnover? And if so, why is that? All of those things are important because when a potential investor is looking to acquire your company versus another company, having a workforce that's intact and in place, a trained and skilled workforce, uh, the type of culture that people want to come to work for and stay and, and um, build value in the company. It's not just uh, clocking in and getting a paycheck type of an environment, but a place where people really feel valued. That does increase value. And, and you see that reflected in the bottom line numbers. So even though it's uh, one of those things, you, you know, it's touchy-feely, you can't really measure it, but you as a uh, experienced appraiser can go and you can kind of feel it and you feel better about your your conclusions. Sure. And we ask a lot of different questions and different types of ways to um, draw out that information from management. But what that does is it plays into our assessment of risk. And there are all these different kinds of qualitative factors that either add to or de-risk a company. And that really impacts the value that we arrive at. It's not just the cash flows and the growth projections, but it's what type of risk is involved with this company and how are we managing or de-risking it. Sure, sure. And again, let's uh, let's stay in that vein. Um, what other 
things that may decrease value? What are some things you talk about risk, but maybe some uh, examples? So some examples of risk, when we're looking at a company, um, volatility of earnings is risky. When we see the revenues and the profitability having high peaks and and low, low valleys year over year, when we're looking at a trend of the historical financials, that's risky. Um, When we have a lot of employee turnover, that adds risk. When a company has a high concentration of customers or suppliers, let's say one customer accounts for 50 or 60% of the company's revenues and that customer isn't in a formal contract, that adds a layer of risk to that company if that customer were to go away. So we look at their product and their service lines. Um, we look at customers and suppliers. We evaluate the competition of the of the company in the industry, depending on the area that they're in. What kind of competition are they seeing and what things are happening in the national environment and the economic environment that might be impacting that company. So different regulations coming down the pipe that might impact what they're doing. You know, we've talked a lot about on uh, on this podcast about the Wayfair uh, court case. And, uh, you know, some companies have elected uh, to follow that and some have elected to not follow it, which uh, may uh, have an unrecorded liability as a result of that. Would that also lead to if, if, if you know about that and is that a decrease in value? Yes, that does impact the valuation. That's part of our standards requires us to um, ask management about any pending or threatened litigation or lawsuits. So absolutely. So if a company has elected not to um, follow those particular rules, that's certainly uh, a red flag. It's a red flag and it, it just creates a level of doubt. So again, when you're evaluating a company, you have to think, put yourself in the, the buyer's shoes. If I'm an interested buyer looking at this company, every time there's something that creates a new red flag that adds a level of risk and that de- ultimately decreases the value that that company has because it decreases its attractiveness. So any any kind of risk is uh, is one of the things that we have to be on the lookout as a business owner yes. to avoid that risk if, um, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about taking the, the, the business to market. Yes. And another thing a business owner wants to think about, especially if they're thinking to take the company to market in the next couple of years, what does the preparation of your financial statements look like? A lot of the companies we work with, Dave, don't have audited financials. They're typically lower middle market size companies. So if you don't have audited financials, do you have a reputable CPA firm or accountant that's preparing monthly, quarterly financials and tax returns that are consistent year to year that are following gap? Um, That's really important. So again, uh, internally, the quality of that stuff, the quality of your accounting staff makes a huge difference. It makes a huge difference. So again, let's uh, we talked about decrease, and we we've kind of scratched a little bit on increasing a value. Let's talk about some real positive things that increase value. Some real positive things that increase value. Well, the uh, let's start with the obvious. When I look at a trend line of the last five years of historical financials, and I see the hockey stick, um, a nice curve going straight up to the right, that looks great both from a top-line revenue standpoint, but even more so from the bottom-line cash flow standpoint. So we want to see consistent, steady growth year over year, consistent financial statements, not a lot of adjustments that are needed to the, to the financial, so not a lot of normalizing adjustments. When we see a management team that is 
really ingrained in the company that that's very skilled. There's layers and depth within management. There are controls in place, segregation of duties, a key workforce, an intact workforce with low turnover, processes and procedures that are in place in the company that are well-documented. When there is diversif- um, diversified revenue lines, revenue streams in the company, so not a a big concentration of customers. Um, All of those things would increase the value of the company. Sure. What about uh, type of entity? Does that have any bearing on the valuation of my business? It does, yes. And you make adjustments accordingly? And how does that that work? If I have two businesses uh, side by side, one's a C-corp, one's an S, try to balance that out and well, it's not it's not a real clear cut. Here's a, here's the impact here's on the deal, value, yeah. but it it does come into Take play on the income approach when we're tax affecting the earning stream. Okay. Yep. And uh, I would assume that would be owners comp type. And with and and of course, so with yes, with the owners comp, you always have to include a fair market value for owners compensation. Okay. And again, as a, a business owner, we have uh, owners that uh, just like to zero out the profit through bonuses. You know to. Uh, Maybe uh, their their management team are those added back into the equation? Yeah. So any type of salaries and bonuses that would not be considered normal, so a normal replacement salary for somebody that works in the company, we would make those adjustments. So normalized earnings is that yes. what, the term we're we're talking about? Yes. Okay. Okay. What uh, are businesses in your experience uh, selling at a premium? Again, depending on the industry and depending on the buyer, right now, especially in Columbus and and in Ohio in general, there's been a lot of activity, um, a lot of transitions and transactions happening. So it's it's prime time to sell your company. I can't make a blanket statement and say that all companies are selling at a premium, but times are good right now. Got uh, more buyers than sellers, I suspect. There are. I, I get a few emails a week from PE firms with their qualifications of what kind of companies they're looking to invest in. So there's a lot of private equity out there, a lot of a lot of money and a lot of capital that people are looking to invest. Any industries hotter than the other right now? Manufacturing construction's pretty hot. Veterinary and dental, both from a corporate consolidation standpoint, really hot. We're seeing a lot there, and the multiples we're seeing in those two industries are mind-blowing. Those would be the biggies right now. Working with a couple companies in the tech space, IT solutions and tech space area, and those are pretty attractive companies as well. Overall, just a real positive environment right now in the first quarter of 2019. It's been really positive. Yeah. I hope it keeps going. Yeah, Crystal Ball, what's it looking like as you guys look out and you you think those valuations are going to hold? It depends on... So the question is, are we going to hit another massive recession? And if if and when that happens, is it going to impact valuations of companies? Absolutely. It's just hard to figure out the timing of that. You know, you'd mentioned... uh, earlier part of the uh, podcast about gifting. Are there still minority discounts available? There are. So we do apply um, lack of marketability and lack of control discounts for minority gifts, yes. And gift tax returns still required to be filed? They are. So even though the um, gift exemption rate went up a lot, 
that will be sunsetting in a few years here. So it's a, actually, it's a really great time to gift because the exemption limit has doubled. And so. uh, that's where another use of the valuation report, does that have to be attached to the gift tax return? It does. So if you're going to make a gift and file a gift tax return, um, the IRS does require that you attach a valuation. Now, of course, it's always up to the owner um, what type of risk they're willing to take. My my caution there is even if you're not going to have a taxable gift or a taxable estate, by attaching that valuation, you set the statute of limitations for the IRS to come back and audit that gift return. And that statute is three years. If you do not attach a valuation, a certified valuation, then there is no statute of limitations. In 10, 15 years, you have the potential for the IRS to come back and Get audit back that. And, and challenge that gift. Correct. Especially if the rules change again that's, or there's a sunset. That's correct. Okay, so so again, that's that's kind of important uh, area often overlooked. If you're going to do a gift, have to have some sort of uh, certified appraisal evaluation attached. That would be highly recommended if, yeah. you're, if you're risk averse or if you're you know, just trying to play by the rules. And honestly, it's, it's just a good um, method of protection. Sure. Okay, I want a valuation. It's just something that can happen in a week or 10 days. I'm, maybe my company's not ready to be valued. What's your um, recommendation to me? My recommendation, Dave, is pick up the phone and call me or call one of my colleagues or send us an email and let's have a conversation. Um, it's really important when we're working with our clients to first understand why is it that they think they need or want evaluation? So what is the purpose and what's really going on in the company? And once we gain some of that background story and that background information, we can better guide the business owner with making a decision for what to do now versus what we do later. Like I said in the beginning of, of our talk today, evaluation, number one, is is step one in terms of any kind of good business strategy, succession planning, liquidity event. It sets the baseline for where you're going to go with the company and, and ultimately figure out what your plan of action is and what the timing looks like. Obviously, yep. you're in the business of supplying business evaluation services, but uh, what's a good recommendation, rule of thumb? How often should I have a business valuation? It's not once a year event, is it? I don't think it is. But. Actually, we have a lot of clients who do get an updated valuation once a year. Okay. They do that as part of their management um, strategizing. So once you do evaluation the first time, what's nice about that is if you are updating it annually, then there's a lot less work that needs to that's involved with getting it updated year after year because we're just adding one additional year of financial information. And then they've always got an updated valuation of their company should something happen in that year. Well, you bring up a good point because uh, what's the partnership agreement say? What's the buy-sell agreement say? Exactly. So getting that valuation done is, you could think of that as a trigger for them to reevaluate the partnership and the buy-sell agreements. Great, great. Our guest today has been Mary Beth Kester, the Director of Ray's Business Valuation services across the state of Ohio. Thanks for joining us. Great job today. Thank you for having me, Dave. Listeners, are you wondering what your business is actually worth and what you should do to get its value going? Wonder no longer. As Mary Beth said, give her a jingle, give her a call, shoot her an email, we'll get you started. In the meantime, if you enjoyed today's episode, let us know, like it, comment on it, or share it. And don't forget to check out videos of our podcast on YouTube. Until next time, I'm Dave Kane, encouraging you to loosen up your tie and think outside the box. 
The views expressed on Unsuitable on Ray Radio are our own and do not necessarily reflect the views of Ray and Associates. The podcast is for informational and educational purposes only and is not intended to replace the professional advice you would receive elsewhere. Consult with a trusted advisor about your unique situation so they can expertly guide you to the best solution for your specific circumstance. Thank you.